speaking of faith, our sermon today is about the challenges of walking by faith and salvation by faith. We're going to pray and we're going to get into this study. Uh, may your hearts be encouraged. Some of you, your faith right now is robust. That's great. Some of you are struggling. Nonetheless, you have faith. You're just struggling with it and you wonder if it's sufficient. You wonder if it'll carry you. May your heart be encouraged in your faith walk today. Father, would you please meet us right where we are today, struggling faith to robust faith. And uh, all of us, may we have a better understanding of biblical faith as a result of studying your word. Teach us, grow us, instruct us. Be our teacher. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of us are aware of the trials that Jesus faced right before his crucifixion and certainly the crucifixion scene. Most of us as Christians would say we understand those things and the implications of them, but do we really? There are things I think we will be discovering into eternity about our salvation that we never understood. Perhaps here's a little bit of a glimpse into one. Most of us will remember that uh, one of the trials that Jesus faced, he faced about seven on the night that he was to be on the eve before his crucifixion. One of those trials was before Pilate. And as he stood before Pilate, Pilate was in a particularly difficult situation. Pilate knew this was a hot potato moment for him. Because if he condemned Jesus, Jesus' followers would probably riot, and he was in a particular political situation in that moment. He couldn't afford that on his record. Caesar and other leaders were watching. If he, did condemn, uh, if he didn't condemn Jesus, the religious leaders would have been on his trail and probably gotten some others to riot. So he didn't know what to do. If he condemned Jesus, there'd be riots. If he didn't condemn Jesus, there would probably be riots. Not good for his political path. He stumbled upon the idea of letting the mob decide. Each year at that time, to please the public, he would offer them the release of a prisoner. Uh, release them. So he offered them two prisoners, and he thought, for sure they'll pick Jesus. He offered them, Jesus, I'll release him to you. Or Barabbas, a known convicted murderer and robber who was sentenced to the death penalty of crucifixion. The mob cried for Barabbas to be released. Pilate was shocked. He was sure they would ask for Jesus. They didn't. So per their request, he has Barabbas released. He says to the crowd, so what should I do with Jesus? And they yell out, crucify him. So he grants permission for the crucifixion of Christ. Now, let's just track for a moment on Barabbas. Perhaps this is one of the aspects of salvation that gets overlooked. I think Barabbas could hear probably the crowd shouting and carrying on from his jail cell. And when the jailer comes to open his jail cell door, he thinks, well, this is it. I'm going I'm to die. And the jailer says, okay, you're free to go. What? Barabbas says, well, I thought I was supposed to die. Some guy's dying in your place. His name is Jesus. 
Barabbas leaves. I wonder if he hangs around to watch Jesus carry the cross through the Via Della Rosa, the path through Jerusalem out to the Calvary. And uh, eventually Jesus takes the cross. It's carried for him. He is taken up on the hill. He is nailed to the cross, and he dies the agonizing death. I wonder if Barabbas hung around, realizing I should be on the cross, not him. Barabbas was probably the one and only person on planet earth that day other than Jesus that understood Jesus was dying for him. And in a way, Barabbas becomes symbolic to every single one of us. Oh, we might not be a convicted murderer and robber. but We've been studying in the book of Romans, and the first three chapters are all about the deep and darkness of our sins in our lives. Chapter 1's about the hideous sinners of the culture, and chapter 2's about you and me. It's us common people. And chapter 3's about the religious people. And no matter which chapter Paul's in, Paul's saying the same thing. You all got a sin problem. Jesus has to die for you. So Barabbas, in a way represents the entire human race that day. He's the only one that got it, though. Jesus is dying in my place. In the study of the book of Romans, we are studying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our lead slide for this is understand it, live it. The gospel, understand it, live it. The opening chapters are about understanding it. The first three is about the deep and darkness of our sin and what we are owed in terms of wrath of God. And we're finally in a chapter 4 to get beyond the darkness, and we begin to see the beauty of this, this diamond of the gospel glistening in the sunlight and the beautiful colors that reflect off it. And for the next few chapters, we're just going to enjoy the beauty of our gospel. Paul started chapter 4 last week as we were studying with the righteousness of Abraham. He went right to the, the big man, Abraham. If Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, and the father of all of us in the nations of people that trust Christ, our spiritual father, if he needed salvation, surely you and I need salvation too. Today, in the last part of chapter 4, we examine the faith of Abraham. I'm going to begin reading at verse 16 of chapter 4, and as I read, watch for the faith of Abraham, our father, father of the Jews, father of all those who will follow God. This man of faith has a lot to teach us about faith. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be not so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him was written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. May God bless the reading of his word to our lives. And let us learn from the faith that this man of faith, Abraham, demonstrates in this passage. As we examine the faith of Abraham and really take a look at our faith, let's begin in verses 16 and 17 by talking about the object of faith. Where is our faith to be directed? What is the object that we aim our faith toward? Verse 16 says, therefore, the promise, that is the promise of our salvation, comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abram's offspring, all of us who are Abram's offspring. He's the father of us all, Jew and Gentile. You notice in that verse 16, I have underlined the phrase, he is the father of us all. We'll get to the rest in a moment, but he's the father of us all. Yes, he is the father of us all, both Jew and Gentile. We sometimes think of Abraham as only the father of the Jews, but he's much more. Abraham actually was credited with righteousness. He experienced salvation while he was a Gentile in Genesis 15. And two chapters later, through circumcision, he becomes the, the first of the Jews and the father of the Jewish people. So he came to salvation as a Gentile and then he became a Jew. Abraham, therefore, is father of us all. And then as verse 17 says, <clears throat> as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, God says. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. He, Abraham, is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. Who did Abraham believe in? He believed in God. He is our father in the sight of God. God in whom he believed. Notice the direction of Abraham's faith toward God. Now that is about as basic as it gets. At this point, you should be growing bored, Dan. Get on with it. We know faith's directed toward God. Of course, he's the object of our faith. That's the problem. It is such a profound yet simple truth. It is beyond our understanding. And we mess this up all the time. For in the midst of the difficulties of life, when life really gets tough, suddenly the object of our faith, God, gets turned to our circumstances. Will you notice in this passage, though, how Abraham keeps the object of his faith in God, even though what he's facing is humanly impossible? You have your impossibilities. I know it. 
Are you woeing about it? Whining about it? Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I know God will be faithful, but I don't know how it's going to happen. I can't, maybe he'll let uh. Your faith just wandered from the object of God Almighty to your circumstances. Or it's vacillating back and forth between God and the circumstances. This simple truth of the object of the God, object of our faith being God, is so simple, but yet it is profound. Yeah. When the job goes south and the income is not there, oh God, what am I going to do? You're just going to keep trusting him. Well, but the income's got No, no, no. God was the source of your income before he just used the job. God has other, he has other conduits to send your income. Huh, huh, but, but if I had a job, I feel, well, are you trusting the job or are you trusting God? You see how easy, easily the object of our faith, God, begins to just get caught up with the circumstances of difficult things. It's amazing the things human beings will do and believe in. Walk out onto a pond in the middle of wintertime and you think it's frozen and the ice starts to crack. Uh-oh! I believe the ice would hold me. We can trust in God, but when, or we can trust in ice, but when it starts to crack, we have our doubts. We can trust in God, but when the circumstances come and the ice cracks, we start doubting. These are hard things. You get in your car on the way home, and you know your car's reliable, and you get out there on 13, and you find out you can't stop it when you push the brake pedal, or it stalls in the middle of the green lane 13 intersection, and everybody wants to get in a Wawa for their lunch, and you're in the way. You were trusting in your vehicle. This thing I can't depend on. Oh, no, you can't depend on anything in this world except God. He's the only one who you can direct your faith to that he, you will never be disappointed. I have told this story many times. I know I've told it here before. I'm going to repeat it today because it is so pertinent to this point. I love the story of Robert Dick Wilson, who was a professor over at Princeton Theological Seminary back in the days when Princeton was very much in the belief that this was God's inspired book without error. Princeton has moved from that position today. But years ago, it was a very conservative theological seminary. And Robert Dick Wilson, one of the professors there, he used to love to go to the chapels where graduates after graduating would come back and preach in chapel. Now, though, I know most of you aren't seminary grads, but a few of you are, and you know the fun of being called back to your seminary to preach. I remember when I got called back to my seminary to preach, it's like, oh boy, this is great. I better pull out a good one. You see, that's how humans think. As though Sunday morning's not worth a good one, but if I'm going to preach in my seminary, it better be a good one. Robert Dick Wilson used to love to go to the seminaries where graduates came back to preach, and he would listen for one thing. It wasn't the homiletical excellence, how the outline was put together, and if all the transition statements were there and all of that. He wasn't even looking necessarily for their thorough exegesis of a passage. He was looking for one thing. After the one day... The, Graduate preached, he went up to the graduate and he said, you know, I want you to know when I come, uh, I'm listening for one thing when I hear you preach. 
I want to know if you have a big God or a little God. Are you a big Godder or a little Godder? He could tell by the way they preached. You see, does the stuff of life crowd in and start making your God, who is so great and powerful, uh, he's getting a little smaller, a little, little God. Or in the midst of your really pushing, trying times, do you maintain a faith like Abraham did? The object of his faith is God, and he will trust God even when it is so stacked against him, he will not stop trusting God. God is the object of our faith. Verses 18 and 19 now bring us to the problem point, the threat of our faith. Why do these circumstantial moments in life so threaten our faith in a big God? If he's so big and can handle it, why do we start doubting when the tough moments come? Starting in verse 18. There's three underlined phrases here. Just to let you know ahead of time, I'm going to start with a third underlined phrase first. We'll work backwards through the underlined phrases, okay? Against all hope, Abraham, in the hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as the bet said of him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he's about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also, about, also dead. What's this talking about? Abraham's a man that's just about 100 years old and his wife, Sarah, she's 90. You don't have babies at that age. Their bodies were dead. Look, look at that last statement. His body was as good as dead since he's about 100 years old. Still didn't have a son. God's saying, I'm going to make a great nation. God's not saying, I'm going to give you a kid. I know you want a kid. I'm going to give you a kid. I'm going to make nations out of you. Sometimes we look too small. We look for a kid and God's saying nations. 100-year-old man dares to trust God for what cannot be done, making a baby. The odds were stacked against him. I do think in our lives, sometimes God waits for the moments where things are humanly impossible to test our faith, to see if we will really keep the faith locked on him. So, I envision Abraham, after getting this message from God, he kind of, he goes in the tent, Hey, Sarah, I just had my quiet time with God, and God spoke to me. Sarah looks up, wow, what do you have to say? Next year at this time, you're going to have a baby. She must have thought, uh, you know, in modern-day lingo, what are you smoking? <laughs> All right? Do you see how the odds are stacked against this? You know, he goes in the tent, and he tells his wife, we're going to have a baby next year. He's nearly 100. She's 90. Odds are firmly stacked against that. He faced the fact. He knew, humanly speaking, this is not possible. You know, there are a lot of people in the Christian faith that think faith is not about believing in facts. It's just like, you know, like muster it up and like Kierkegaard. It's a leap of faith and a nothingness and, and just kind of hope that it's going to work out. And 
That's not what biblical faith is. Biblical faith will look at the facts of the situation and how humanly impossible that is, and then they will look at the facts of God and who he is, big godder or little godder. And which way is faith going to flow? Circumstances or big godder? He squarely looked at the facts. He knew his body's as good as dead. He's 100. She's 90. First phrase, against all hope. When all hope is gone, what do you hang on? Oh, I just don't know what I'm going to... How big is your God? This is so much of where day-to-day living comes. I think there is a great need to really look at the facts of our God. He is bigger. He is greater. He is more powerful. He cares about you more than you can believe. He will sustain you. He will always be there for you. He will always see you through. He can handle anything that you face. Do not let the circumstances make your big God a little God. Are you going to trust the biggest and strongest one, or are you going to cave in to the circumstances of the moment? Are you going to let them overwhelm you against all hope? When the income is cut off and the bills have come in and you're past due and there's still no income. When the doctor calls and the test results are in and he says, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. When the close relationship is so broken it cannot be restored, humanly speaking. Does God begin to get smaller? He's still the same God. Or the circumstances threatening the direction of your faith toward God, and you begin to trust in, oh, it's right, it's humanly, it's never going to happen. What are you believing in? Biblical faith is always based on fact, the fact of who God is, what he has promised you, It is not a blind leap of something into darkness. In these moments of life that we all experience, yes, it is difficult to keep our perspective and keep trusting in God. We must trust him. We do not want to call God a liar. When we choose to cave into our circumstances and we lose our focus, we cave in. And we actually say, God, I know you say you'll take care of me. I know you can help, but I just don't see you doing it. And the circumstances take over. If you choose to keep your trust focused in God, you will never be disappointed. If God becomes less and you start trusting, yeah, it's humanly impossible, it'll never happen. If you go that route, you will eventually only be disappointed. Trust God, you'll never be disappointed. Go the other route, you'll always be disappointed. 
sooner or later. These moments in life want to steal your faith away from trusting deeply in your God. And they make God seem smaller. Sometimes it creeps in subtly. I know he can, but I don't think he will for me. Starting in verse 20, the last section of this text, we look at the results of faith, and there are actually three results of faith here. I want to look at them, and then I want to actually trust God to build our faith through his word. I'll tell you how we'll do that in a moment. But starting in verse 20, the results of our faith, or the results of Abraham's faith rooted in God, focused in God... Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, the promise of God. But he was strengthened and gave glory to God. Notice how his faith is strengthened. He didn't waver with unbelief in his difficult moments. I'm a hundred, I can't have a baby. He was strengthened in your faith. How do you get strengthened in your faith? He stayed rooted in the promise. God said, I'm going to give you a baby. I know you're 100, but I'm still going to give you a baby. I don't care if you're 200. You're going to have a baby. Okay, God, I will choose you over what I know to be true for human beings. Because you're a God. You're a big Godder, big Godder. How is faith strengthened for us? I envision faith like a, like a muscle. Pumping iron. See, you got those big guns, okay? Been pumping iron. Yeah. Started out as a little twig. And then lift by lift, month after month, eating the right thing and doing the right thing, consistently the muscles got bigger. Every time in life you hit a difficulty, you exercise faith in God. And the previous time of faith in God builds faith for the next time. Faith is strengthened. How is faith strengthened? It is strengthened by trusting in God's promises. It's in his word. It's letting his word build faith in you. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from the hearing of the message, message of the gospel, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Long story short, part of what this text means is your faith in your life will be nurtured through this book, the Bible. How many times have you heard Christians say, well, I got difficulty, so I'm praying. Are you in the Word? No. Well, how do you expect your faith to be built if you're not in the Word of God? Word of God communicates God's promises to you and will reaffirm them in difficult moments like the moments you're facing right now. And God will remind you who he is and how great he is. He's a big God. You need that constant reminder. That's what builds and rebuilds and rebuilds our faith. So when we come to the end of the sermon, I'm going to let God use a story to build our faith. A story from his book. Because this is the kind of stuff that builds our faith muscles. You have to be in the book for your faith to be strengthened. And second of all, he gave God glory. I won't spend long on this one. But it's important. You see, the rest of the world does not live this way. They don't trust God. They cave into the human, the impossible, and they give up, and there's no hope. Hope against all hope. You know, it's just not there. But you live differently. 
You trust God deeply even in those tough moments. And you keep your faith focused in him because you're a big godder. You live differently. God gets the glory for that. People around you, what does that nut do? Who does he think? You just trust God. And God speaks to other people through that. And they wish they could do that. But you've been pumping your iron. And you've gotten a little stronger. You don't feel real strong. But it's beginning to happen. Faith is getting stronger. And you give God glory in that. And, and the third one, strengthened his faith, gave God glory, being fully persuaded that God had power to do whatever he had promised. What, you're just going to trust in what God says because he's a big God. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The interesting thing here is this very faith that Abraham exhibits as he trusts God for his son and nations to fall is exactly the kind of faith he exhibited to receive his salvation. This fact sometimes eludes Christians. How are you saved? By faith. How do you walk? Well, every day I try to surrender to God and I try to be a good person. I try to do... No! You live for God the same way you got saved. You got saved by faith. How do you live? By faith. Every single day. This is very difficult for some people. Some Christians have misunderstood this thing all of their lives. James chapter 2, verse 18, James was very clear. You know, you, you claim to have your faith and, you know, that you're trusting Jesus for salvation. I will show you that I've got faith to save me, uh, save me from my sin. I'll show you that saving faith by the way I live, by what I do. In my day-to-day living, as I live for him, I trusted him for salvation. Now I trust him every day to live everything I face. James says, I will show you my saving faith by the way I live today. Hebrews chapter 11, writer of Hebrews made it very clear, without faith it is impossible to please God. You can do so many good things in church and in Christian ministry and in missions, and that's not going to necessarily please God if you're not doing it by faith. You cannot please him in day-to-day living any more than you can please him in salvation unless you trust him for those things. The Bible says four times that righteous people, those that are saved, live by faith. It says it once in the Old Testament, three times in the New Testament. All righteous people live by faith. Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, how did you receive him? By faith. So you continue to live in him by faith. You trust him to help you every day through those difficult times. And you even trust him in the really good times when you could easily trust yourself. You have experienced God's salvation for you by faith. Now you experience his provision every day for you to sustain you by faith. No more lip service about trusting God. Oh, yeah, we trust God. Well, what does that mean? Next trial comes along. Well, I don't know if I can <laughs> Have you realized in your Christian experience 
how, how faith struggles get greater and greater every day of your life? Some of you that are well along in years, you, you're, you, you've understood this. You, I trusted God back many years ago for that. It was huge. Today, what I trust him for is so much bigger. Some of us are more like teenagers or children still in our faith. We're younger. and we're oh, I trusted him. I got through that. I'm good. Uh-oh, here's another one. I guess I got to trust him. The lessons get bigger and bigger. And that's why it's so important that you be pumping the iron as you're moving through life so your muscles, faith muscles, get bigger and bigger because the challenges are going to get, you, they can't get greater. For yes, they can. It is important that you learn to trust God where you are today so you're ready for the next set that are coming. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm trying to say this is the way God has for us to live. This is the way we give him glory. He sustains us. He's a big God. Let's illustrate with Abraham. Chapter 15. He didn't have a kid yet. He was in his mid-80s. God said, I'm going to give you a child. Abraham trusted God for that, and God saved his sin-sick soul and credited to him righteousness. That's what the text says, and that's what Paul quotes in Romans. We've already studied that, the early part of Romans 4, last week. That's not the end of his faith. Now he's got to live every single day of his life by faith. And Abraham is a man of faith, so when he faces challenges, like years later, chapter... The chapter where God appears to him and says, you know what, you're going to have a baby next year, even though you're 99, Sarah's 90, you're going to, okay, God, I, I believe you. I know we're not able to do that, human, but I believe you, God. See, that was another faith challenge. Let's take it a step further down the road, another 13 years, Genesis 22. You think that was a big challenge of faith? Here's a bigger one. One day Abraham's having devotions with God, and God appears to him and gives him another message. Abraham, I want you to take your son, your one and only son, the son whom you love, and I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me as a sacrifice. Huh? I, I didn't have a kid. I just wanted a kid. You say you're going to give me a nation. The kid's 13 now. He hasn't made a baby yet. You want me to kill him? This is a very big faith stretch. Been pumping muscle, iron for a year, building faith muscle. Abraham spends the rest of that day getting ready for the trip, and early the next morning, he and Isaac, his 13-year-old son, the son of promise, and two servants head for Mount Moriah. Three-day journey. They finally get there. In three days. They're standing at the foot of Mount Moriah. Abraham says to the two servants, you two stay here. Isaac and I are going up on the mountain, and we're going to worship. That's quite a thing to call, you know, sacrifice of your son a worship. And don't miss it. He said, we're going to go up on the mountain and worship, and then we're going to come back. Did you catch it? We're going to come back. How are we going to come back if I kill him up on the mountain? 
Apparently, and the scriptures are clear about this in the New Testament, Abraham reasoned in his mind that if he sacrificed his son, God would raise him from the dead. That is an amazing thing because resurrection, by Genesis 22, resurrection hasn't even been addressed yet. His God was so big in his mind that if he sacrificed his 13-year-old son, God just raise him up again. That's fine. Then we'll have the nations. Well, it'll happen. God said it. Big Godder. You can expect the challenges of your life to get greater. Let's do a little geography test. You know where Mount Moriah is? <laughs> that was funny. Philly. <laughs> you go to modern-day Jerusalem, right outside Jerusalem is Mount Moriah. Centuries later, another heavenly father would send his son, his only son, the son whom he loved, and offer him as a sacrifice for your sin and mine on Mount Moriah. Same place. Every time you are stressed by God to trust him in a difficult situation, it just exudes the gospel. It, you give God glory when you trust him. The gospel of God has seen how it can take a person who is so human and so willing to trust human mentality and say, I will trust a big God. God does love you. And you may feel as though the circumstances of your life have destroyed your faith. Keep trusting. Keep pumping the iron and directing your faith toward God against all human odds. Eventually, you will not be disappointed. But if you go the other route and cave in, I'll guarantee disappointment is in the future. Abraham is a man of faith. As I said before, no more lip service. For every one of us in this room, no matter how good we see ourselves from a human perspective, God says, you need a Savior, and I sent my son, my only son, the son whom I love, and I sacrificed him for your sin on Mount Moriah, Calvary. you are here today, stop believing in yourself to be good enough to get to heaven. God says it will never work. Even Abraham needed to trust God for salvation. If he did, surely you do as well. And no matter what you face today, it is an issue of locking your faith on God and building your faith in the word, through the word of God, letting simple stories like Genesis 22 remind you how hard it will become. I must trust God today for this battle, and then in the future when those battles come, I will trust him again, and I will keep nurturing my faith and strengthening my faith by understanding his promises, by pumping those irons, by understanding who my God is and remembering that he's a big God. I will not allow circumstances to make him a little God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Let us begin with a moment of salvation. If you have not yet trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin to provide you salvation, you do it by faith. Your faith does not save you. God saves you.
but you express faith in him, and then he gives you the salvation. Will you trust him today? Offer a prayer in your heart, in your mind. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I believe what you said. Sin will be judged, but I believe you sent your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and you, you punished him on that cross for my sin. Forgive me. Just ask him to forgive you. He will. And he will deposit to your account a godly righteousness of salvation. My heart goes out to many of you that are struggling with huge life issues in this moment of time. I know something of some of the discouragements they can bring. I've had my issues. You have yours. But we are big Godder people. Our God is far bigger than our circumstances, no matter how huge they may seem. Let's get it back into perspective today. Would you recommit yourself to trust him deeply with whatever you're facing today? He may not answer the way you want him to, but he will do what he knows to be best. He is God. Lean on his promises. Lean on his character for who he is. Trust him deeply. God, through this passage today, through the stories of your word, through the character described about you in your word, through the promises you've given us in your word, build our faith. The challenges seem so great to us, but you are far greater. We thank you. We honor you. We live to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.